Come on, lift your faith to Jesus right now. Come on, lift your faith right now to Jesus. Jesus. God is about to speak a word into this generation. Let your worship frame the word of God. Let your your worship begin to become the prophetic framework. In Jesus' name. Jesus. And would you clap for Jesus, everybody? Because He's the reason why we're here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Well, how many are ready for the word of the Lord? In creation, the Spirit of God moved. And then God said, let there be light. We're about to have a let there be light moment. Amen. Amen. That being said, if you could find your seats just momentarily. Come on. There you go. But do not lose this hunger. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to have church. I know we've already started, but I'm, I'm telling you, it might just be a long night. I might get hungry and we might have to quit halfway through and then just come back, but... Amen. It's so good to be here for what I believe is a monumental weekend. Not only just for this this youth group chosen, but for the church as a whole. And I'm thankful that I get to be a part, a very small part, of what God is doing here. And uh, I just want to thank Brother Middleton, younger. Brother Isaac, I want to thank you for having me. Let me be a part. I'm thankful. You guys got an awesome youth group. If I could, I'd just pack you up with me and take you everywhere I go. But there's a work to be done here. And uh, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree because of your pastor, right? Pastor David Wright. Amen. I'm thankful. Thankful for him. Amen. And I'm thankful for the continual flow of the Holy Ghost that was in here in here last night and through this morning. We had church and Pastor David Wright's home. And I just I, I went to have a little nap and I couldn't the Lord wouldn't let me sleep. And it began to reveal some things because I had 
One of my mentors told me, one of the men of God in my life, they told me, Ryan, as you begin to climb this mountain of ministry, the higher you climb, the lonelier you'll be. The higher you climb in this, the fewer that will go with you. Not that they won't come to the mountain. But the higher you climb and the more that you want, the fewer will be with you. And as I was weeping this afternoon, the Lord spoke to me because I was in pastor's house. Because last time they had me in in March, they had me stay at a hotel. They had to check me out, make sure I wasn't a weirdo. So I, I, I tricked them. They didn't think I was a weirdo. And I got, to, I got to stay at their Annapolitan Hotel. But the Lord spoke to me today and He told me, that man right there, He'll go with you. We're going to climb this mountain. Because it, it does get lonely. But just know, it will be worth it. Amen. But if you have your Bibles, would you, would you stand in reverence of the Word of the Lord? And would you open your Bibles and turn those on? However you do. But just turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 22. Amen. Thankful for your pastor and his wife. I really am. Hmm. Joshua chapter 22, and we'll begin reading at verse 26. When you have it, say, I've got it. Amen. That's a little bit of Iowanese. Amen. Joshua, the Old Testament book of Acts. Verses 26 says, Therefore we said, Let us now prepare to build us an altar. Not for burnt offering. Everybody say not. For burnt offerings. Nor for sacrifice. But that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before Him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. Therefore said we that it shall be when they should so say to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say again, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord. Everybody say the pattern. Behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but that it, might, that it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord in turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God that is before His tabernacle. 
Skipping down to verse 34. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed. And I'm like, really? That's the best you could have come up with? Is there anybody named Ed here? Ed Wick? Ed Word? No? Okay, so we're good. I don't want to offend anybody, but I just, I mean, really? That's the best you could come up with. And Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed, for it, is, it shall be a witness between us that the Lord, He is God, or the Lord is God. I'm going to preach tonight what I feel in the Holy Ghost, which might seem, which might seem silly at first, but you'll understand. I'm going to preach about an altar called Ed. An altar called Ed. Would you just one more time, would you throw your hands up in the air? And I don't want you to just say pretty Pentecostal prayers, but I want you to pray, God, I need to hear from you tonight. Lord, we know that you're about to come back for us. And you're not coming back for a reluctant bride. You're not coming back for a reluctant generation. But Father, I pray, let your living word preach your written word. I pray, Father, that you would articulate revelation in this house by the anointing. And I pray, Lord God, uh, that you would allow us as a generation uh, to hear what heaven would have to say. And I pray, Lord God, that tonight you would let your presence saturate this place. And that you would acclimate us to heaven. Acclimatize us to the glory that will be revealed. Oh God, I pray, let your voice be heard. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And you can high-five your neighbor say, Have you met Ed? Amen. And you may be seated if you so desire. Thank you for playing with me on the keyboard. Amen. I'll pay you to keep going, but you can quit. Amen. I got a $10 bill with your name on it. Amen. But in the book of Joshua, the Old Testament, what I believe to be the Old Testament book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is what Jesus told them to do. But the book of Acts is what they did with what Jesus told them to do. And thus is the same with Moses' first five books of the law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, it's what Moses told them to do. But it is the book of Joshua is what they did with, with what Moses gave them. Amen. And it is in the book of Joshua that a generation has now risen to the occasion of crossing their Jordan River and them stepping on the water, not waiting for the water to part for Moses to raise the, the rod and the staff and waiting for the water to part. But now a generation not 
waiting for the water to part, not for one man to stand out in front of everybody else, but a generation steps on the water and then the waters part. It is in this generation that they now enter into the promised land. That land that flowed with milk and honey. That land that had been promised a past generation. This generation in the book of Joshua stands tall and enters into that land. To possess the promises of past generations. But now, this generation, they first go to Gil- Gilgal where they reinstitute covenant or they make their own covenants and commitments with God and they commit themselves wholly and completely to God. But then they move on to Jericho. Jericho with its impenetrable walls is the first city that they come to where they will fight a battle that had already been won. It is at Jericho they begin to march around that city until the walls come down. Guess what? Because the last 40 years, I said it last time when I was here, the last 40 years they were being led by a cloud having a move of God, but seemingly going nowhere for 40 years, marching seemingly in circles. But God was not going to have their wilderness experience be in vain. So I'm here to say that our last 40 years wasn't in vain, but it was teaching us, it was training us, it was perfecting us in the way that we would possess the promise in the land so after 40 years of seemingly wandering in wilderness seemingly going in circles in vain God now has brought them to a place where they were going to take what they'd learned in the last 40 years and they were going to put it into practice so he took that going in circles and set them up against the the biggest walls in the first city and they took what they'd learned in the wilderness of the last 40 years and they put it into practice as they marched around those walls of Jericho and I'm telling somebody it's time for this church and this generation to put in practice what has been put in place over the last 40 years it was not in vain but now it is time In the book of Joshua, they find themselves, they march around the city. And then the priests, they blow the trumpet. And when they make that certain sound with the sound of the trumpet, it was the people's required obligation for those walls to fall and for them to take the city. They had to shout in agreement with the trumpet that was sound. It's not enough just for the preachers to have the trumpet and for them to sound the alarm. But there must be a generation behind them that will shout in agreement, will shout in faith with the trumpet and the certain sound that has been sounded. And I'm here to tell you... Because it is a proper response to the preached word of God that will not only bring your walls down, but it will bring a city to its knees. I'll just say this and I'll move on because this is a whole nother message. I would like to know how to respond to the trumpet now. Because there's a trumpet that's about to sound 
and I want to be ready and I've got to respond now. I got to know how to respond now to the trumpet down here so I know how to respond to the trumpet when it sounds up there. So every time your pastor preaches, everybody, you better understand it's rapture practice. Every time he gets up there, whether he's preaching on ties or or ugly shoes, you better get up on your feet and you better say, hey, this might be the sound. This might. So the next time he gets preaching something, I don't care which one of these preachers it is. You just start. Here's what I do. I just get right up in front. I just go. Because one of them times I ain't coming back down. So keep on preaching, Pastor. It's not in vain. So I wonder if there's going to be somebody that's going to help me preach tonight. But now we move beyond Jericho and we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 22. After the people of God had now entered in and now are possessing what had been promised, we find in Joshua chapter 22, we find them taking 31 cities and 31 kings. And now it has come to a place where they were to put down the sword and to pick up the sickle. No longer fighting for what was already theirs. But it was time for them to inherit and enjoy what had been fought for all these years. It's time to set down the sword. And it's time to take up the sickle. And take care of the land. And enjoy the inheritance. I'm not talking about just sitting back and getting easy and getting lazy. But I'm talking about you laying down the sword and picking up the sickle. And reaping the harvest that God has in the land that He has promised. That's already been planted in seasons past. And now in Joshua chapter 22, it's time for them to set down the sword and pick up the sickle. And we find the narrative gives us the story of two and a half tribes. Two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Joshua stands up and says, you've been faithful. You fought with us to take 31 cities and conquer 31 kings. But now Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, it is time for you to go back to your inheritance the place of your rest which just so happened to be back on the other side of Jordan and when they said okay they literally said okay to going and settling for less than what they had fought for all of these years I'm telling somebody that they were willing to go back over the other side of Jordan and they were willing to settle for less than what had been fought for over Over the last eight years. But while they did that. Willing to settle for less than what had been fought for. What had been warred for. What had been pressed into. They were willing to go back over Jordan. But listen to me. Their conscience got in, got, got speaking to them or something. And all of a sudden. Because they began to fear. For their next generation. They said, we got to do something. If we're going to live with less 
than what God has for us, we got to think about our next generation. So instead of taking a visionary response, they had a reactionary response of fear that says we've got to connect our future generations with the God that brought us out and the God that brought us through and the God that took us in. We've got to connect the next generation. So they said, here's what we'll do. We'll make an altar. And the Bible said that they made an altar after the pattern. Everybody say the pattern. They made a replica of the altar that stood before the tabernacle. They made it the same height. They made it the same width, the same dimensions, the same measurements. And it was after the pattern of the altar of the Lord. And they said, here's what we'll do. We'll give them a replica of the real. We'll give them the pattern, the measurements, trying to connect them to the God that once answered by fire. But once they built this altar, and they just so happened to name it, so here's Ed. He's the right height, he's the right width. He's got the same depth, and he's got the right measurements. He's got the gold. He's got everything that he needs. He's a replica of what once was. But all of a sudden, once they make Ed and introduce that generation to Ed, all of a sudden, the other tribes in the promised land, they get up and get upset and say, How on earth could you make an altar to sacrifice unto false gods? And they said, no, 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 no. You missed it. It's not that kind of altar. No, we would never rebel against the Lord to serve false God and offer sacrifice to false God. He said, it's not that kind of altar. He's not for burnt offering. Don't, no, 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 no. He's not for sacrifice. That's not this kind of altar. Ed's not that kind of guy. So what they were willing to do, what they just willingly admitted to do, was putting a pattern in the next generation's hands. A pattern without the power. The measurements without the manifestation of that same God that once answered by fire. Willing to handle, hand them the dimensions, but without the demonstration. Nothing's wrong with the pattern. But if it does not be, ah, if it does not get kissed by the God who answers by fire. He said, it's just for looks. So in ratio, what they tried to do was take that God that they had once encountered, that God that they'd once experienced, and make Him a cheap pamphlet, and make Him a Bible study in a bag, and hand it to a next generation, saying, I hope you make it. And one commentary says it like this. They made a replica of the real they wanted to settle a 
We can't have a replica of a real. We can't, we can't just have the pattern without the power. We can't just have the right measurements, the height, the width, the depth, and look all good like we should. But we need a God that can open the heavens like He once did, that can make it fall like fire. I'm telling somebody, this truth that we have, this truth that we have is more than a college curriculum. It's more than a pamphlet to hand out on the streets. It's more than a church card. But it is a revelation. For you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth isn't a questionnaire. Truth... This isn't a pattern. That's just part of it. But there's more. This truth that we have, it's not just a pattern, height, width, depth. But it's much, much more. You may be seated. It was not too long ago where I was. In two days, two days, I preached ten services. And I was flat wore out. And I got to preach at a Bible college. Now I can tell them I've been to Bible college. And on that Monday morning, me and my wife, we got, I mean, I'm a coffee drinker. I'm well acquainted with Jehovah Jireh. And I mean, we did what we did. I mean, we got that coffee pot a-brewing. Trying to get that, that motor started. And we were in a nice evangelistic evangelist quarters and everything. Had the coffee out, made that coffee, and making that coffee, I literally drank that whole thing. Except my wife had one cup. And after drinking that whole pot of coffee, it did nothing for me. And all of a sudden, I decided to look down at the bag, and there was a little dirty word on there. Revelation just hit this house. You hear that? I didn't even tell you what it was. It could have been mocha. It could have been almond fudge. It could. But you knew what I was, you knew what was on that bag. And all of a sudden, the scripture comes to mind. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Such turn away. So I'm thankful we don't serve a decaf deity. I'm thankful we're not a part of a decaf denomination somewhere. But we've got the power. He can open the blinded eye, the deaf ear unstop, the lame to leap to their feet as a heart. Somebody, you need to clap your hands. My God. You don't need the whole pot. Just taste and see. That the Lord he is good. My God. It's more than just a replica. It's more than just a pattern. What we believe is more. It's more than just a college curriculum, a cheap Bible study. Let me see. I think it was about two years ago now, they had me come and preach a youth week somewhere. 
preaching that youth week, there was a young 13-year-old girl, the pastor's granddaughter, I believe it was. She was trying to get me in to a lunch with all the students so I can evangelize them. Jump up on the table, spit, holler. They said, no, preachers can't come in here. And in fact, you're not even supposed to have your Bibles in here. Took the grandkids' Bibles away, and they said, no, he can't come in here. Well, he just wants to have lunch. Oh, he can't come in here. And they swore it off. There was no religion, nothing coming in those, in those doors. And it was wild because just a 13-year-old girl, she wasn't going to take no for an answer. So she started to do something crazy and off the wall. That I mean, so far out, she began to pray and fast. And she said, no, we need revival in my school. And she began to pray and she began to fast. And while they said, no, he can't come in here for lunch, you can't bring your Bibles and you can't, no, no religion anywhere of any sort, no pamphlets, no, 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 nothing. But all of a sudden after she had prayed and fasted, a young 13 year old girl was approached by three teachers that were coming together and they were teaching a world cultures class. And they just so happened to be teaching on the three major leading religions of the world. And they said, Hey, I know you were supposed to have a preacher come have lunch, but they wouldn't let you. But hey, would you have him come in and teach for 45 minutes, 8th graders and ninth graders about apostolic Christianity, that kind of Christianity that you belong to? Would you have him come in? And I said, well, yes, I will come. And you've got to understand, like I was telling these young guys earlier, I'm not the brightest crayon in the box. I barely passed high school. Mama slapped me, made me go to day school and night school just to catch up so I can make it through. I barely passed high school. I was a flunky. I was no good, nothing. But guess what? All of a sudden when God starts doing things... I'm now going to be the teacher in a high school class. And the main question that they ask, what is it that separates your kind of Christianity from other, every other? And I said a little something like this. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Achad. That's Hebrew for Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. My God. And things started coming out of me. I didn't know where they came from. And in that classroom, I started through it. I started going through it. They want to know all this stuff. So I just started, I went in. I didn't even know where it just started. It's like when it was all done, I kind of shook myself and said, Whoa, where'd that come from? I started telling them at the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., they made the first creed that was foundationally making the Trinity that was not once, blah, blah, blah. And I started going through the Roman Emperor Constantine. He was a political position that tried to use his political position as a Christian to marry, marry paganism and monotheism and marry the pagans with the Jews so everybody can be happy, kind of like the politics now. So what he did was he said, okay, I guess what we'll do, we've got the people that believe in many gods and then we've got the Jews that only believe that there's one God. So we'll give them one, one God and three persons and more it made the trend. I started saying all this and everything went through all of church history. I said, where on earth did all that come from? And all, after all of it, 
that teacher comes up to me. Got tears coming down her face. And she says to me, she said, I was confirmed Catholic all my life. And I did not know the things that had taken place and what had happened. I didn't know all that. So she said, young man, can I come to your revival tonight? And that teacher, she sat in the back because we scared her half to death. But she was back there in the back. She lifted her hands and the God of heaven answered by fire and filled her with the baptism of the Holy God. It's more than a power. It was a revelation. And she got it, friend. She got it. And it's going to happen in your schools. It's going to happen on these college campuses. Oh, God. God. Now listen. That night after she got the Holy Ghost, I stood up and I prophesied. I said, This is the beginning. This is the beginning. They've got walls up, but God just gave you favor at the gates of your school district. Sometimes you don't need walls to fall, you just need favor at the gates. Because guess what? When you get favor at the gates and the walls are still up, it'll let you in but keep everybody else out. Two weeks later, they call the, they call the pastor of that church and they say, hey, we want your church. We want you to come and sit before the school district. They brought them in, sat them down. They said, we're giving your church permission that your young people can bring their literature, they can bring their Bibles, and they can teach whatever they want to teach. Our teachers can't do it, but they can do it. But they can do it. But they can. I'm telling you, it might not be the teacher, but it's going to be you that can get in there. Be seated, be seated. Because now you got to listen, you got to understand. They said, Ed's not this kind of altar. He's just the pattern, the replica of the real. So we have some kind of connection to what once was. They said, he's not for burnt offering, he's not for sacrifice. But guess what? If there's no sacrifice, there is no fire. And in God's plan, in God's tabernacle, man's a Man's plan, God's plan for man to approach him. Fire on the altar. Fire is the only changing agent in God's plan. Fire, if there's no sacrifice, there's no fire. And if there's no fire, there's no changing agent. Because the very nature of fire is to change the nature of everything that it touches. And when fire shows up, it changes things, whether you want it to or not. Just ask Colorado when they have those forest fires. People's ha- people lose their houses. They don't want their house to burn. But when fire shows up, it changes things. And guess what? God's not bringing fire with Him. Hebrews 12 and 29 says... For He is a consuming fire. 
He's not bringing a pocket full or a handful. He's not bringing out his big lighter and saying, hey, I think I might start a fire. But you've got to understand, our God is a consuming fire. And when he shows up, he changes things. Because that's his nature. That when he... I've watched it. I've sat in services. I've sat in services where the fire of God began to fall. He's going to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He is a consuming fire. That's who He is. Whoever He touches, whatever He touches, He changes the nature of that thing. But listen, I've been in services, and not, not to brag, not to boast, but to give God glory and to let you know that you can have it. There was a service where the Holy Ghost began to fall. Fire began to fall. Parents were up there making sacrifice unto God in their praise and their worship. And back on the back pew, there was a seven-year autistic young man back there, and he does not have the ability. He's sleeping on the back pew. He don't have the ability to even look at his mom and dad in the eye and make that eye contact and that connection to tell them, Mama, Daddy, I love you. He don't have that. But when the fire of God began to fall, Mama walks back to where he is. He comes out of his sleep. He looks Mama right in the eye. And he said, Mama, a pastor just came to me in my dream and told me everything's going to be all right. Oh, you don't know Ed, do you? Because that little boy didn't make a conscious decision. But when the fire fell, it changed something. I was in a church in Minneapolis, Shoreview. There was a young, there was a man, uh, there was a wife uh, or a mom and a daughter that were coming to church during this whole revival. And mom and dad, or mom and dad were having a fight, and dad didn't like that he, you were going, they were going to this church all this time. They didn't, he was mad at the preacher. He didn't believe talking in tongues. He thought it was funny, phony. He didn't like the preacher because his wife and daughter were gone all the time. And it was a revival all this week, so he was getting extra mad. One night before revival, he's so mad and angry and red-faced that they're going to this revival again another night. So dad got mad. And he said, Mom, he didn't call her Mom. I don't know what he called her, but he, he said, I'm done. He took, his, he took the keys. He said, I'm done. We're over. We're getting a divorce. Over the truth. He said, we're done. We're over. I'm leaving you. And she said, you can leave me, honey, but you're not taking my minivan. So he got those keys. He threw it in her face. He said, fine then. He said, I'm leaving. And she said, wait, baby, before you go. If you want, I'll drive you anywhere that you want me to take you. He reluctantly got in the car. She locked the door, drove him right to the revival. And listen, she ended up getting him on the inside of the church. And he sat there, mad as a hornet, back on that back pew, almost turning purple, mad at me because I got the mic. Any moment, I thought he was just going to start charging me and take me down. But God is my witness. I stood up there at the end of service. Altar calls started happening. I said, I wonder if there's anybody that would run up here and fall on your face before God as a living sacrifice. My little three-year-old boy comes running, and he falls on his face just doing what Daddy 
what he sees daddy do. And when he did that, the fire of God fell. And that, that mad dad, he stood up. I thought he was going to charge me or he was going to run out of here. But when the fire of God fell, he stood up just long enough to fall down to his knees. And God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My God, when you got more than just an altar call in, it'll save dad. It'll save mom. It'll bring your sister. It'll bring your brothers. Because when the fire falls, it changes things. But listen, if there's no sacrifice, there's no fire. And if there's no fire, there's no changing agent. So all you got's a pattern. But nothing changes. So there must be a sacrifice. You want all that, but there must be a sacrifice. Not too long ago, is about it was about three years ago. There's a lot happening because I was back home. About three years, a young man, about 30 years old, he came into our church, got the Holy Ghost, got baptized in Jesus' name. But in his ears, he had those big gauges. I mean, they were huge, built-in cup holders. You could literally stick your finger through it if you're into that sort of thing. You know? But that 30-year-old man, full of the Holy Ghost now, goes into Walmart in the middle of the night, and he just, all of a sudden, God begins to move on him. In the middle of Walmart, why he's stalking peas and, and, and corn and... He just started weeping and crying. Nobody thought anything of it. Have you been to Walmart in the middle of the night? Nobody thought nothing. So he's in there. He's got these big old gauges built in couple. He's stocking peas and he's stocking carrots and all of a sudden God begins to move on him. We never said a word to him, but he felt like God spoke to him. Hey Keith, if you'll take those out of your ears and out of your heart. Because it wasn't just wasn't just something to take out of his ears, but it was a part of his identity. He said, if you'll take those out of your ears and out of your heart, I'll do a miracle for you right now. And Keith, weeping and crying in the middle of Walmart, he took him out of his ears and he held him up to heaven just like this. And he said, God, I give them to you. And right then and there, the fire fell. And right before his very eyes, all of a sudden those earlobes, all of a sudden closed without a trace that they were ever there. And you can't tell to this day that he never had them. See when the fire falls It changed So what would happen If you pulled something out of your heart You can be seated You can be seated Musicians you might want to get ready Just to fake it Make them, make them think I'm almost done But you got to understand, there's no sacrifice, there's no fire. And if we needed anything in this generation, it's fire. Because there's some things that need to change. We need a sacrifice. But it's not that we don't sacrifice. It's more of what we sacrifice. 
Because I believe that as I travel, I notice that there is a, a misconstrued idea of sacrifice. Here's what sacrifice to us. You get in a good service. Holy Ghost begins to move. We start singing withholding nothing. And we come up to that altar. We come up to that altar and we start emptying our pockets. We got our, our medicine, our cold medicine. God, we got our napkins, tissues. We come up, we give our money. We, we got some money. We got some, got our keys, fingernail clippers, chapstick, mints. I came with a lot of baggage. Hey, I got a pocket hanky right there. I got a pen. And we come to the altar and we start emptying our pockets. And then, and we give our stuff. We empty our pocket. Wait, I got a cell phone. Everybody just went, oh. Withholding something. So not only is that my cell phone, but it's got time. We give our time. We give our energies. We give our abilities. We give our talents. And we sacrifice anything. You boys got anything in your pockets? Got anything? Go ahead. Come on. Come on. Come on. Go throw it on the altar. Throw it right here on the altar. Empty your pockets. I don't know if any of these jeans have pockets you can pull out, but... Pull them out. Pull them out. See. See, there you go. And this is what this generation looks like. Look, look, look. Come on. You young guys, pull out your... You know, I'm just picking on my man, Nan Dizzle. All right? This is my dude right here. I'd never say anything bad about him. I was not that joke. I wouldn't make... I want you to understand. We got empty pockets. And in that conviction of the moment, we come to the altar and here's what we do. We sacrifice our stuff and we empty our pockets. And guess what? The fire falls. And it changes the stuff. But we leave still depressed. We leave still lonely and confused. And we leave frustrated. Listen, hold on, hold on, hold on. Musicians, get there quick if you can. You don't have to if you don't want to. But watch now. The fire falls and it changes the stuff. But we leave the same. Because we've emptied our pockets. Because that sacrificed us. got a generation with empty pockets. Now you want to know why they leave when they're 18? You, I'll tell you why. Because they've got empty pockets and they hear one more good message. You hear one more good message after your pockets are empty and you hear it about sacrifice. You go to youth camp and you hear another message about giving everything. But you come to the altar with empty pockets saying I don't have anything left to give. 
And they leave our doors frustrated. Because I've given everything, but I'm still confused. I'm still lonely, depressed. But guess what? Let me see it again. Listen, this is our concept of sacrifice anymore. We give our time, we give our efforts, we give our money, we give everything, we empty our pockets. But this isn't sacrifice. This is sacrifice. said, I beseech ye, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice. But listen, you young people, you listen to me. The reason why we empty our pockets and we give our stuff, because we think our stuff and what we do or how we do it, our talents, our abilities, our time, we think all that's more valuable. Than us. So we'll rather give our stuff. Because we don't think much of ourselves. So we give our stuff. Because we think it's more valuable. But guess what he said. Where your treasure is. There is your heart. He's after your heart. He's after you. Not just. Because if he has you. He has your stuff. reason why we got empty pockets now we've given everything but we're frustrated but all he wants is you you've sacrificed your talents your abilities for whatever God wants you say God I'll give you whatever but all he's looking for is you because you is the most valuable thing A little while ago, there was a young lady by the name of Cassandra. She grew up in our churches. She rode the Sunday school bus every Sunday. She knew the pattern. She knew Ed. She went to the youth camps. She went to the youth conventions, the back-to-school services. But one day when she's about 13 years old, She came up to an altar called Ed one last time. And she emptied her pockets. And from that service, she walked away from God frustrated because she had nothing left to give. So she thought. So one day she sits down at her kitchen table, mom and dad's kitchen table, about 17 years old and said, Mom, Dad, I've done everything that you've taught me to do. I've got the height, the width, the depth. I've got the pattern. But I've done everything that you've asked me to do. And I'm still lonely. I'm still confused. So I've decided today to take my own life. In our churches. At our altars. But something happened. God intervened. Somehow she made it back to an altar. And one day she decided, not my stuff me 
And now that, that young lady's now a preacher's, a preacher's wife. Working in an elderly folks' home. And when that fire of the Holy Ghost fell on her. And she was rebaptized with the Holy Ghost. Now being a preacher's wife, she finds herself in a nursing home working overnight. And one night she walks in to give this elderly lady her medicine. Wakes her up, said, ma'am, it's time for you to take your medicine. And all of a sudden when she woke her up, she looked at Cassandra. And all of a sudden started screaming, fire! Started crawling up back in her bed, fire! Cassandra left the room. The nurses cleared the stations, came running in. Saying, where's the fire? There's no fire. So they sent Cassandra back in. They said, ma'am, I'm going to try to give you your medicine. And she looked at Cassandra. Fire! Fire! Cassandra gets out of the room. They said, Cassandra, just move on. She goes to the next room. And in the next room, the gentleman's already awakened. She goes over to him and says, sir, don't be alarmed. There's no fire. I don't know why she's screaming. And all of a sudden, he says to her, he said, don't say that there's no fire. Because on you right now, I see a fire. And it's like a flame. And it's the Holy Ghost. That's what it is. And if you... If you could only know what's in this atmosphere right now. Fire! 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 But He don't want your stuff. He wants you. He don't want what you have to give. He wants you. So I wonder if there's somebody in this house. You're tired of empty pockets. And things staying the same. I wonder if you'd stand out of your seat. And you would run to this altar. And give the sacrifice that God wants. Don't fall on that altar and say, Me, Lord, I've done my duties. I've sacrificed my time, but me, Lord. He'll change it. You don't have to leave here with a question mark. No, I don't sing. I don't sing. Come on, reach down deep in your heart.
Come on, not what you have, but who you are. Not what you have, but who you are. You are worth it. You are worth it. You are valuable. Young lady, young man, you are valuable. You were worth the world to him. You were worth the death on a cross. It's changing right now. It's changing right now.
We can't afford to give our babies an altar that's never been touched by fire. on somebody and let the fire come on somebody like Elijah pray that fire down pray it down on your families pray it down on your school but it starts with you. It starts with you. It's going to fall in the college. It's going to fall on the campuses. But it starts with you. Give him your questions. Every 
need some Elijah's to pray that prayer over somebody. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that you are the Lord. on, I want you to keep on praying right now. But in that spirit of prayer, I want every young person in this place, I want you to stand to your feet. I feel something in the Holy Ghost right now. I want every one of you to stand to your feet and push in as close as you can to this altar. And I want you to listen very closely. Something is about to happen in this place. My prayer has been tonight. Lord, we're in the flow. We've been in the flow. But can we finally flow into fulfillment? How many know that this is a back to school revival? And you're about to go back to school if you haven't already. But the Lord just quickened me. In the story of Samson, there was a story where that man, Samson, who was the prophesied beginning of deliverance, there was one occasion where Samson, listen closely, a little bit soft, a little bit soft, where Samson 
I think it was, took 300 foxes. And he tied their tails together. And he lit them on fire. And he sent them into a Philistine field. I don't know how many young people are here. But I want you to find somebody next to you if it's appropriate. I want you to grab their hand. I want you to find somebody to pray with. Everybody in this place finding somebody. Because I'm about to prophesy in this house right now. That that person you've got a hold of. Just like Samson tied those foxes together. And he lit their tails on fire. And he sent them into the field. God is tying you together with that somebody. Saying I'm about to set you on fire. And I'm going to send you into a Philistine field. So would you worship? You're going to take this into your schools. You're going to take this onto the campus. To your work. To your family. Now somebody praise Him. Like you believe. There's a field waiting. There's a field waiting. Don't let go of them. Don't let go of them. Praise with them. Shout with them. Dance with them. Say we're going to the field. On fire. On fire. Somebody lose your pride. Lose your pride. And give Him the praise. You're going to change all of Maryland. You're going to change every college. You're not going alone. You're not going alone. We're going together. Let there be a connection, a tying together as the foxes on fire.
to minister to one another right now. I release you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Lay hands. Pray the prayer of faith. Speak that word over them. There's an anointing. There's an anointing. And there's unction. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of deliverance right now. If you don't know what the problem is, just lower your hands in the air because there's an answer.